So this morning, we, I mentioned last week, we're going to do things a, a little bit differently. Um, so normally what we do is we, we put, some, put some scripture on the, up there, uh, and we read it, and then we have a conversation about it. Uh, so this morning, we're not going to do that. We're still going to talk about Scripture. Don't worry about that, because that's important to what we do, right? But I'm, first, I'm going to just start out, and we'll sort of interweave Scripture uh, in the middle of it. Um, and so, yeah, there are all sorts of reasons why we do it the way we normally do it, which are good, theological, rich tradition. Um, but I decided to step away from that, because we're going to have some fun this morning. Because there's something we need to talk about. There's an idea that we need to talk about. And... I think that it's vitally, vitally important. I also want to remind you this morning that, yes, I am the expert. Yes, I have been to school. Yes, I have a degree. Uh, yes, it's called a demon, or not a demon, an MDiv. I'm not the demon level. That's doctor of ministry. I'm an MDiv, a master of divinity, which sounds way more a master of divinity? Really? How arrogant is that degree name? Right? What? So anyway, yes, I'm the expert, okay? But here's the deal. When I come up here and I talk, um, and I've mentioned this before, but when I come here and I talk, it, it's, it's never the last word, okay? It's never the, I'm telling you how it is, you, you got to believe it, and that's it. No, it's always this. What I do is I give you the first word, uh, and then it's it's up to you to do with whatever it is you want to do with it. And we're trusting that the Spirit is at at work in there. I may at times say things that you're like, ah, I don't know about that. Perfectly okay. I'm okay with that. That's okay. And maybe we can have a conversation about it. And that would be fun. Um, but I want you to know uh, that what I say uh, is just the first word, and then you get to do with it whatever you want, and the Spirit's going to do whatever the Spirit's going to do in and through you, and um, yeah, I just I felt the need to, to say that this morning. I don't even know why. So um, before we get into this, let's pray together. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're entrusting this time to you uh, where... We, we come with, with this heightened sense of anticipation uh, because we come with the expectation that you are here, that you are present, and that your vi- voice somehow, some way, however it is it works, by some miracle of the Spirit, we will hear your voice. So that's what we pray for this morning. We ask for you to speak. We ask for you to do whatever it is you need to do within our hearts to make us into the kind of people who live and love like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to begin with a game. Um, You didn't know you were going to play a game this morning. That's okay. Surprise! So we're going to begin with a game. It's a game you've all played before. It is the word association game. You're familiar with this, right? And I have full disclosure, Emily gave me this idea. So if you don't like it, I will take the blame. 
because I think it's an amazing idea, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it this morning. So thank you for giving me the structure or the beginning of this today. So I'm grateful for it, because I think you're going to find that this is going to be fun. So word association game, you, know, you all know how it's played. In case you don't know how it's played, here's how it's played. I'm going to say a word, and you, all of you, permission to speak. I need you to speak, okay? I'm going to say a word. You're going to say the first word that pops into your head, okay? Hold on. We're in church. Okay, there's little ears up in here. So, uh, I'm trusting that your words will be appropriate words. Not that I think you have anything locked and loaded that might be inappropriate, although now that I've mentioned it, you do. So, shoot myself in the foot. Um, Let's start over. Hey, everybody, we're going to play a game. Okay, so it's a word association. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word. I want you to say whatever first word comes to mind. Okay? Are you ready? First word. Peanut butter. Jelly. jelly. Pretty much, wait, I heard somebody say something other than jelly. Sandwich. Yeah, but, it, you, yeah, I don't need no... I don't need no lip for my own kid. Okay. Okay, yeah, almost all of you said jelly. Like, okay, here's the next one. Macaroni. Cheese. Noodles. Noodles. Somebody was like, I'm going to be different. <laughs> well, pretty, yeah, that was you, Zach. Can we have some diversity here? We like diversity of thought. All right. Shoes. Socks, laces, feet, toes, I like it, pizza, cheese, breadsticks, pepperoni, bread, what was that, Shane? Yummy, yummy, that's the correct answer, yummy. Food, light bulb. Now you're just messing with me, Anna. Okay, next one, next one, next one. We got a lot to go over today, okay? Fruit. Apple, vegetables? I like it. Orange, banana, all sorts of, nice, I like it. We're getting more diverse in our thinking, thank you. Uh, Next one. Fear. Scary. Spiders. Me too. Scared. Okay. Cheese? <laughs> Afraid of cheese? Well, for some people, it gives them... <clears throat> so, for some people, cheese is scary. Okay. Didn't know we were going there today. Luxury. Hotel, vacation, car... Okay, you guys are good at this game. <laughs> Was that cheese again? <laughs> okay, okay. Technology. Science, fear. <laughs> AI. Oh man. Nice. Okay, next one. Uh, time. Clock. Phone. That's where kids get the time, their phone. All right, 
Future? Did somebody say future? You wouldn't, yes. You wouldn't say machine? Come on, man. We need time machine. Okay. You did? Okay. Medicine. Doctor. Sick. Nurse. Now you're playing off each other's words. It's not... Okay. Last one. Are you ready? Evangelical. Loaded? Jellyfish. I'm not hearing much. Evangelical. Church. What was that? Lutheran. Okay. I feel, I sense some trepidation in the room. And uh, that's okay. That's okay. Evangelical. You want to know what non-church people think of when they hear the word evangelical? Anyone interested in this? I am. Okay. In a 2019 study by Barna Research Group, almost half of non-church people had a somewhat negative or very negative opinion of peoples associated with the word evangelical. Over Almost half of non-church people had a somewhat or very negative opinion of people associated with the word evangelical. If we were to play this fun game that we just played, this word association game with people who don't go to church, who don't share our faith, these are the words most associated with evangelical. Are you ready for this? Politically conservative, not in itself a bad thing, narrow-minded, homophobic, misogynistic, puritanical, uptight, racist. Oof. Evangelical. And whether you're whether you're an evangelical or not, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we sort of get, everyone sort of gets painted with that brush. Oof. Isn't it interesting that the word evangelical is more of a political designation today than it is a religious one? But it doesn't surprise us because the people who study these things have noticed that we, in America at least, we sort of form our identity out of our political affiliation. Like it used to be different, although the more I think about it, the less I think it might be true. It used to be that faith was that thing, that faith was the foundation of our life and everything else was sort of built on top of that, influenced by that. Right? Or faith was sort of the, the source, the beginning of the river that is our lives, and everything else sort of flowed downstream from that and was influenced by that. But the people who study these things today are telling us that our political affiliation is the thing that is the source of the river that is our lives, and everything else is influenced by that, including our faith. Evangelical. It's more of a political designation today than it is a religious one. 
And none of this surprises us, right? You think about how we live our lives today. Let's think about what we allow ourselves to be influenced by. We spend hours upon hours upon hours, sometimes every day, but certainly every week, allowing ourselves to be influenced by things like Fox News and CNN, Newsmax and MSNBC. We spend hours upon hours every week, sometimes every day, allowing ourselves to be discipled by those networks, corporations, conglomerations. We allow, discipled just means learner. Disciple is learner. So we allow ourselves to be discipled, to learn, to get our worldview from those. And we spend very little time allowing ourselves to be formed by the presence of God. Allowing ourselves to learn and study the things that Jesus taught and said and did, and the way that he did them, which is just as important as the things that he did. So evangelical, it's this word that's kind of, it's like this hot button word in our world today. And I think that we need to, I think that we need to talk about this word evangelical. Does anybody know where the word evangelical comes from? Like, Dad, I want you to zip it. <laughs> Anyone know where that word comes from? Go ahead. School. That's awesome, Grayson. Okay. We should probably know this, right? And I'm here, I'm here to tell you that it's not your fault. It's okay that you don't know. It's okay. Some of you do know, you just don't want to talk about it in a, in a crowd. And that's okay. I get it. That word evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion. Anybody ever heard that word? Euangelion. When it gets translated into the English, it gets translated into gospel. Okay? Euangelion gets translated to gospel. Or, probably a better, more Relatable phrase would be good news. Euangelion means good news. Here's the first verse. Justine, are you ready? See, she had to be ready at the beginning, and now, okay. The first verse of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 1.1, it says this. The beginning of the euangelion the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news. The, this, is, this is, he's saying, this, what I'm about to tell you is evangelical. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Son of God. Now, it's important for us to, to know who Mark is writing to. So Mark is writing to, to a, a small persecuted little church in Rome, under the brutal dictatorship or emperorship, emperor's rule, emperor's reign of Nero. Their allegiance to Jesus threatened their entire lives, threatened their life, threatened their businesses, threatened their very ways of living. So it brought about the senseless slaughter for them of friends and family. Everything in their lives was fractured and split apart. They didn't know which way was up. And Mark starts off his story about Jesus, and he says, you know what? 
Because they know he knows who they are. You know what? I know life is hard. I know life and the world and everything seems to be, seems to be splitting apart at its very seams, but I got some good news for you. I got some good news for you. Does anybody need good news today? Does anybody feel like the world's sort of splitting apart at its seams and we don't know which way is up? Does anybody need some good news today? I need some good news. I think the world needs some good news. Now, let's think back to those words that were associated with the word evangelical that I gave to you from non-church people. Do, do any of them sound like good news to you? Do you want me to go back and read them? They don't. <laughs> I'm just going to be frank with you, Aaron. No, I don't want to hear them again, and they're not good news. Appreciate that. They're not. It's not good news. Good news should be good news for everybody, or it's not good news. Good news should be good news for the world, or it's not good news. We need some good news. We need some good gospel. That's what we need. Which leads us to another question. Euangelion, good news, gospel. How would we, what is the popular definition of gospel? Good news. What is, if we, were to ask, if we were to ask people, what is the good news of Jesus Christ, what would be the popular definition of the good news today? The gospel. Anyone want to take a crack at it? Salvation. Salvation? Okay, say more. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, have eternal life. Uh-huh. And how would we sort of fill that out? If you don't want to talk, it's fine. I got some stuff I can say. It would kind of go something like this. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Okay, are you ready? See if this sounds familiar. See if this is the framework you've been given. First, here's the good news. First, some bad news. Really bad news, in fact. Um, you're a sinner. Because of your sin, you deserve death. Not only that, but you deserve eternal conscious torment in this place called hell. Sorry, just being honest. Oh, but here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus took the death that you deserve in his body, paid the debt that you owe, died for you, and all you have to do is believe it. It's free. It's grace. And you get to live with God forever in heaven. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like gospel to you? Does that sound like how people would define the gospel to you? First, let's just be brutally honest about something. Think about if you are a non-church person and you're hearing this for the very first time, doesn't that sound the, the tiniest bit manipulative? Just be brutally honest about it. Does it sound a little bit manipulative? Like first we have to put the fear of hell in you, and then of course you'll come to the place where you're like, all I have to do is believe and I get to go to heaven forever, right? This is what it sounds like, right? By the way, this is called penal substitution. We're going to get deep for a second. 
This is called penal substitutionary atonement. Atonement is the fancy theological word for, meaning how we are made one with God, how we are reconciled with God. If you just look at the word, it's really easy. At one meant. Atonement. How we are made one with God. That's penal substitutionary atonement theory. It is one of seven major atonement theories in historical Orthodox Christianity. It's one of them. If you want to have fun later on today, before the Super Bowl, Google Christian atonement theories and go down that blast of a rabbit hole. You might learn something that you haven't known before, right? So, Jesus died for you. You're going to go to heaven and live with God forever. And it's very sort of afterlife-focused. Where are you going to spend eternity? You've heard this question before. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? It's very afterlife-focused. Happens after we die. Here's something interesting. Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about what happens after we die. Spent very little time talking about it. Oh, he said some things. He said some things like, there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be some sort of separation between the sheep and the goats was his sort of metaphorical way of, of speaking about it. Um, so he said a few things about it, short on details. Probably the most poignant thing he said about life after death uh, came when he was having the last, one of his last conversations with his closest followers, knowing that he was about to endure the cross and die. Okay? He said something like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Oh, I love that. Right? That gives us hope. That gives us comfort. That gives us this sense of, okay, but again, short on details. Whatever it is that that, that is, God's got it. God's big enough. God's strong enough, wide enough, powerful enough, smart enough figure all that out. And we can, we can leave that to God and say, yes, it's going to be okay. Right? But Jesus didn't spend much time talking about that. So that brings us to another question. What did Jesus say about the good news? What did he say? What's the good news to Jesus? What's the gospel? What's the euangelion? So I've been sort of leading us up to this over the last few weeks. Right? We've been talking a little bit about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And here's, here's how the Gospel of Mark begins. The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the first verse. And then Mark goes right into talking a little bit about the John the Baptist. And then he goes right into this 
this experience that Jesus has when he gets baptized in the Jordan by cousin John. Right? He goes down under the water, comes up out of the water, and has this extraordinary, life-altering, mind-blowing experience when he sees the heavens opening up. And he sees what seems to be the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And then he swears he heard a voice. Right? Because his disciples weren't with him when this happened. Right? They came later, so he must have told them this story time and time and time again. And he must have been like, I swear I heard this voice. And this, the voice of God said, you are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And he began to sense that God was up to something new in the world. That God was up to something different in the world. And in some way, it started in him with him and through him. The world now, Jesus sensed, is fundamentally different. So what does he do? He begins preaching about it. He begins going around Galilee, talking about it, teaching about it. And what is the first thing he says? What's the first thing he says? Hey guys, I'm going to die. Just believe in me and you'll get to go to heaven. No. Believe this good news. That's not what he says. Look at what he says Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which means turn around. Right? From all that other stuff that, that is influencing you. Turn around. Repent. Trust. Believe, which means not just believe up in your head. That word literally means Trust with everything you have. Believe this good news. Euangelion. So for Jesus, what is the good news? The kingdom of God is near. That's what he said. It's right there. It's right there. I'm not making this up. He said it kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. Great. What does that mean? Well, I think, and this is the point at which I will tell you, I'm not alone. Lots of really smart, good theologians think this and believe this and believe that this is the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are sort of framing their stories about Jesus. I happen to think this too. I think that when Matthew, the way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write their stories about Jesus, we are meant to understand that the things that Jesus does are physical manifestations of the reign of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God in this world. The things that Jesus does, if God were here in our midst, this is what God would be up to. Hello, incarnation. God becomes flesh, right? The things that Jesus does are a physical manifestation of the reign of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God. So let's ask ourselves the question, what does he do? What's Jesus up to? Well, we just read the books. We read the stories about him. He heals people. He helps the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He casts out evil spirits. He gives people their lives back, gives them wholeness, a new chance at life, a new freedom, a chance to flourish in this world. 
He feeds people. He walks on water. He calms storms. But he goes beyond that. He steps over willingly all the boundaries that we set up to separate ourselves from other people so that we can tell who's in and who's out. You've heard me say all this so that we can have an enemy to fight against. He steps over all of those different boundaries and includes all sorts of different people that he is not supposed to include. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, you know, foreigners, a Syrophoenician woman, right? Read the stories. It's all there. You can't miss it. It is all there. Unless you want to miss it, you can miss it. It's all there right before your eyes. He gives freedom to the oppressed. He gives them, he gives all sorts of different people, everybody he encounters, a chance to live good, beautiful, flourishing lives with the ability to contribute to God's good creation. Doesn't that sound like good news to you? Oh my goodness. That sounds like great news. Dare I say that sounds evangelical? Does it sound evangelical? He also taught a lot about the kingdom. He said all sorts of different things about the kingdom. Right? And the things that he says about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, give us sort of this, this sense of how the kingdom works, how the reign of God works in this world, how the rule of God works in this world, how if God were present... God would be doing things. Listen to this. This is Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He told them another parable. So Matthew changes the kingdom of God. By the way, just so you know, he had Mark's good news about Jesus Christ sort of sitting here when he's writing his own. And he changes the kingdom of God to the kingdom of heaven. It's sort of interchangeable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So good. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is like, yeah, it's kind of it's like that. Let's play with those ideas a bit. The kingdom of God is like a seed planted in the ground. It grows and becomes the largest of garden plants, giving, giving shelter to the birds, grace to the birds. What might that say about the kingdom? Like if you were, if you were to play with this idea, you can, you can talk if you want to. What might that say about the kingdom of God and the way the kingdom works? Anybody have any ideas? Say that again. It's welcoming. It's a shelter. I love it. Say that again. It's living. Strong. Supportive. It starts as a seed. I love it. We could spend like a half hour talking about this metaphor alone. It's a seed. Gets planted in the ground. The seed willingly gives up its life. Sacrifices itself. 
A tree grows up out of the ground, giving grace to the world. Small, tiny, the tiniest of all your seeds. The kingdom of God is like the tiniest, weakest, wimpiest seed you got. You put it in the ground, it gives up its life. It's like yeast. A little bit of yeast, put in a big whole ton of flour. Works its way through all the dough. It rises, becomes a big, beautiful loaf. It doesn't happen like that. It's a slow process. It's underneath the surface. You don't even see it working. It's subversive. And yet it does its work. It makes a big, beautiful loaf. And it's amazing. It's not big. It's not powerful, it's not forceful, it's not coercive, it's not authoritarian. It's underneath the surface and way more powerful. Jesus said all sorts of other things about the kingdom of God. He says it's like a treasure in a field. A man finds it and then buries it again. Sells everything he has. Gives his whole entire existence so that he can go back and receive it. Oh my goodness, we could go on and on and on and on and on. God, the king of the kingdom, is like a shepherd who loses a sheep, leaves the 99 behind to get the one. It's like a woman who loses a coin, tears the whole house apart forever, finds the coin. You know what? You know what she does? She grabs her whole neighbors and they have a party. They celebrate. It's like a man with two sons. On and on and on. On, and we could go on forever. How would we describe the kingdom of God in our own words? Okay. On the spot, editing. I'm going to leave some stuff out here, and I'm going to give you instead, because what I think it's better. I'm going to give you some, some words. I'm going to give you Brian McLaren's attempt at describing what the kingdom of God is. I gave this to you back in, uh, I think it was June of 2020, so it was online. I'm just going to assume you all forgotten it by now because it was online and you're like, what are we doing here in 2020, right? So this is Brian McLaren's attempt. He gives several different other metaphors that sort of make sense because we don't live in a world with kingdoms. What does that mean? So he gives this. This is in his book, The Secret Message of Jesus. If you, if you're, it's a great book. I recommend it to all of you. If you are interested in it, come see me after, okay? This is his, his attempt. It's like a mother's, the kingdom of God is like a mother's dream for her children. It's like a mother's dream for her children. It's God's dream for the world. The way that God wants the world to be. Not like the crazy dreams that we have at night, which are weird and awkward. We don't know how to explain them, but like a mother's dream for her children or a parent's dream for their child. Parents dream for their children to live, to have everything they need, to live happy, healthy, whole, flourishing lives. Right? A life where they can make a contribution to the lives of others. And where does that dream come from? The deepest, 
deepest place of love. And maybe that gives us the bottom line. God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of love. You know, maybe there's a reason, <laughs> just speculating here. Maybe there's a reason that when, that when some experts in the law, some hyper-religious people, came up to Jesus to test him. And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Maybe there's a reason he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything you find in our scriptures, hang on those two things. Maybe he said it was all about love because he meant it. Maybe there's a reason when he was gathering with his disciples in the upper room, shared Passover meal together. He's getting them ready because he knows he's about to die. The cross is coming. He's well aware of it. So this is like the last conversation he's going to have with his closest followers, right? This is the time for summing up. This is the time to give it to us in one little thing. Maybe he said this to them for a reason. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Love each other. The world will know that you belong to me by your love. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. Maybe he said it like that because he flippin' meant it. And then, in the most stunning way possible, he showed us what that love looks like by literally giving up his life for the world. But it didn't end there. It didn't end there. See, Penal substitutionary atonement wants to end there. It's always framed that it ends there. It didn't end there. Just like the manifestation of the kingdom brings about freedom for those who are captive, healing for those who are sick, who are blind and deaf and lame, the kingdom of God manifests itself again in a physical resurrection of Jesus. Love is redeemed. New life. Always. And that's what we get to be a part of. Right? Love's the whole deal. Love's the thing that the kingdom is about. Love is the thing that undergirds the whole thing. What did Jesus do every day of his life? What is love? Giving yourself up for the benefit of others so that they can have everything they need to live a flourishing, beautiful life. What did he do every step of the way? He walked around Galilee and Jerusalem, constantly loving all he met with. Love is the thing that undergirds it all. Listen to this. We can have everything in the world. Everything in the world. And if we don't have love, we got nothing. 
We can preach anything in the world. Anything in the world. But you know what it's going to sound like? A banging gong and clanging cymbals unless we have love. Love's the thing. Love is the deal. Love is the whole deal. Friends, that's why I love what we get to do here. I've wanted to give up so much to the point where I can't stand it. But I don't. I don't give up. It's why I don't give up. It's because of love. It's because we get to try our best to do something different, to create something new. We can do our best to, to create a place of love, a place where we love each other, a place where we create the best atmosphere we know possible to give everybody a chance to live a good, happy, healthy, flourishing life and the ability to make a contribution to the world around us because we don't create a club that loves each other, yay. No, it's a club that gives itself away. That's our purpose, to love the world, to work with the kingdom out there, to work with God's reign out there. We want to create an atmosphere where we learn to the best of our ability and we aren't perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always do it perfectly, but a place where we can create the kind of atmosphere where all of us learn to live and love like Jesus. And because of that, all are welcome. Everybody. You're welcome here. Because of love, our arms are stretched open as wide as Jesus as you are welcome here. One caveat. If you come in here and you want to undermine love, probably isn't the place for you. But for everybody else, you are welcome. There is a place for you here. That's some good news. That's some great news. That, my friends, because of what God is up to, reigning, ruling in us and through us, that's evangelical. Let's pray.